Makers and Mystics Podcast presents Naming the Animals, an invitation to creativity by Stephen Roach with Ned Bustard. This companion podcast follows a chapter-by-chapter discussion of the book, Naming the Animals, published by Square Halo Books. To get your copy of the book, visit squarehalobooks.com or see the show notes of this episode. This is Episode 7, Glorification. All right, Ned, here we are for the glorification chapter, and I'm... In the home stretch. That's right. We're getting in the home stretch here. This chapter is one that is really close to my heart because it hits on this issue that I think a lot of people struggle with is like, what glorifies God and how do we bring glory to God? It seems like that's something that challenges and even stumps a lot of artists who maybe do unconventional work or work outside the norms of what mainstream Christian life might be used to. I run into that with a lot of artists in our communities. And I think we've talked about before, even, you know, Hans Ruckmacher, who is one of my heroes, he struggled with abstract art as a means of glorifying God, you know, because it it wasn't realism. It didn't depict something you know, that you can latch on to immediately. Well, yeah, I mean, this whole issue is it has been major in my life because, I mean, if you, you know, my first book was, it was good making art to the glory of God. And that, that whole thing was the, the central idea is how do we get to that point? Mm-hmm. I, I am at, I'm, I'm at point A, I want to get to point B, point B being glorifying God, and I'm an artist, and nobody's giving me any roadmap for that, <laughs> right. and any kind of any kind of clues about how an artist can bring, because I think that the church kind of assumes that artists can't <laughs> bring glory to God, because <laughs> right. they, they don't have the vocabulary for it, they don't have, they don't have categories for yeah. how the visual arts, you know, can be speaking to something spiritual. And again, you know, this is the whole Gnostic, um, you know, we're physical versus spiritual rather than that we're physical and spiritual beings. And I think there's just so many misconceptions, you know, story that happened in my own life is a few years ago, we were hosting one of our Breath and Clay events. And one of the artists in the gallery had brought a beautiful enunciation, a sculpture of Mary, and we had it on display. Well, so we host the Breath and the Clay at a church venue. And so Sunday morning, all the congregants come in for their normal service. And then here we are, this ragtag community of artists have commandeered their space and taken it over. Some people love it. Some people don't know what to do with it, but... I'm sure. <laughs> because it's not conventional. But right, right. This, this one person came in and saw the Annunciation, saw the sculpture of Mary in, in the building and flipped out and took it upon themselves to go and get a black cloth and covered the sculpture and then proceeded to oh, tell wow. the pastor uh, to to berate the pastor asking why have you allowed idols in the church and oh my goodness it, it was shocking to me but unfortunately i don't think that that's always uncommon for many artists working in the context of faith and hopefully this and other podcasts and books and materials can kind of speak to that but uh, 
I, I, I don't know what your thoughts are on that or, or similar experiences. No, I, well, I, my first thought is, oh, is, was that woman thinking that she was doing kind of a Christo <laughs> thing where she was going to wrap the, the sculpture so that we would see the sculpture better? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think that yeah, obviously the church has, has struggled with this for a long time. Uh, you know, you've got all the, all the, the history of, of folks running into cathedrals and smashing idols, you know, well, there you go. Smashing <laughs> oh, there was a slip, huh? My uh, goodness. There you go. Can we tell that I'm a Presbyterian? <laughs> My word. <No. laughs> but I, it's, it, you know, I think that that's, it is, it, this is an area that we need to, to think through and work through. And, and you know, our, our guest today at Nippers is, is no stranger to this kind of uh, controversy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his his work is um, he does large, like eight foot by fifteen foot paintings of nudes. Now they're all biblical narratives, mm-hmm. which probably makes it even worse for some people because they're like, well, I can handle a nude, but don't don't make it you know a nude of of I don't know David and Bathsheba or right. uh, I mean of course that would be a, a problematic, <laughs> but the, you know the, don't make it a nude of of the Israelites worshiping a uh, golden calf or don't make it a nude of, you know, Stephen getting stoned to death. You know, we, we don't, we don't want to think about that, but I've been following Ed's work for years and he just goes after these things full force because he's committed to the idea that the stories that happened in the old Testament in the new Testament are real things really happened to real people. And one of the ways that he gets to that is he says, well, if I put them in, in a, with a towel on their head and, and bathrobes, like we do in nativity, you know, plays, you're going to have, have that kind of separation. There's going to be a wall between you and, and the mm-hmm. narrative in scripture. So he says, well, we have in common this one thing. We're both humans. And let's, let's talk about these, these accounts in Scripture from the viewpoint of one human talking about another human dealing with the divine. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it's been an amazing thing. I, I, I'm a huge fan. He's in uh, several of Square Halo books, and uh, I have a couple of his pieces in my home. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. Well, he's, he's also had similar experiences where people have come and actually – slashed his paintings is that right oh yeah yeah he had a, a show down in uh, i think it was in tennessee this was years ago and um he, he found out about it long range. he lives in washington dc so he gets a call that says this guy came in and just started taking a knife to to his paintings and and destroyed them and he was just glad that someone was actually bothering to look at his paintings so you know there's, <laughs> wow. there is that but i you the the thing is with his work and it's hard because Unless you're, unless you've seen it in in person, you don't really get the impact of it. I mean, he's got a website; and you can look at his stuff online. But they're giant, eight foot, twelve foot paintings, wow. and they're nude, and they're talking about the faith. And these are things that hit us very, very close to our heart. You know, if if you're talking about Jesus and you're talking about my humanity, it, these are these are tough tough things for us to 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 let go and have someone process in front of us. Well, let's get Ed on the line and start the conversation. Sounds great. Well, in each episode, I've been reading the first paragraph or so of each chapter to kind of get us into the mindset of what we're going to talk about. 
And so I'll do that with this one as well. I started this chapter off with a quote from one of my favorite children's fairy tales, which is, of course, the great American fairy tale, The Wizard of Oz, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. And this is a quote talking about courage, because the, we begin this chapter on glorification discussing the root of the word courage. But the quote is, You have plenty of courage, I am sure, answered Oz. All you need is confidence in yourself. There is no living thing that is not afraid when it faces danger. The true courage is in facing danger when you are afraid, and that kind of courage you have in plenty. L. Frank Baum, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. The chapter starts by saying, Our English word courage is derived from the French root coeur, meaning heart. Courage is to act from the heart. You can harbor facts and never act on them, but courage is not passive information. Courage is an inner strength realized within challenging circumstances. It involves a willingness to risk failure, harm, or defeat, and is often a choice made in spite of a real and present fear. When we choose to have courage, we are making a declaration of what we value, and God takes notice. And then it goes on from there to talk about courage being necessary for living a creative life. So, Ed, I'd love to start with asking you the question, where do you see courage as being part of the creative process for you? Well, um, from very early on, just to, I, uh, just to be able to start work, um, I have often said that art is an act of faith. Making art is an act of faith because you have a faith that there will be people to come to see it later. And you have uh, faith that what you're doing is, uh, for a Christian, is pleasing to God. And therefore, uh, you have to have that kind of faith. The courage comes in what, what you're going to make. And I think uh, if you look at my work and my, the, the background of all my work, and the, what I've, uh, the Lord has had me use as far as coming to grips with his incarnation, as well as our humanity before him, um, and the use of the, of the nude in order to do, to do that. Uh, it has taken some courage to do that, particularly within the evangelical communi community. And it has had pluses and minuses all along the way. It's uh, like uh, being a nude on a wire. I have a poem that I wrote about being a, the artist is a nude on a wire, ex totally exposed. And so you have to follow truth wherever it will take you. And if you have, uh, if you do that, you let the chips fall where they will, then the Lord can, can use, I think, what you've done. He can use whatever he wants to use. I'm not going to limit him. But, uh, but he seems to want to use, uh, if you're trying to be true, he gives you ways of being true. And that may cause a lot of uh, consternation along the way with other people. Not long ago, I was at an Orvieto, Italy at a small conference there and they were, were sitting around and everybody was saying what an artist needs as uh, as in their development and they started naming things off and I said oh yeah I had that yeah yeah I had that and yeah that, that one I had too finally the Lord nudged me and he says but don't you realize I was there the whole time <laughs> and he showed me his hand over my entire life mm. as steady as could be with me squirming underneath, trying to figure out what he wanted me to do and where I should go and everything else, but his hand was steady. 
And that is, uh, it, once you have that understanding, and he's shown you that as far as your own life goes, then you can have courage. To mm-hmm. You know, I, I love that you brought up the nude in this conversation as well, because part of what this chapter gets at is that we often can have a narrow idea of what glorifies God. And especially as, as artists of faith, as, as followers of Jesus, sometimes we have these narrow ideas of, of what is glorifying to God, but that's a perfect example. You as, as being someone who is a follower of Jesus and, and listens for those promptings of the Holy Spirit in your life, you know, but also someone who has found great value, and I would imagine even great spiritual value as, as far as how the nude and other things that may be outside of the, the norm for, you know, the everyday follower of Jesus to understand. I'd, I'd love to know how that plays into your process and, and the idea of glorifying God through the art that you make. I'm called to make art. God has to let me know how to glorify Him. A good example, I think, would be when uh, my wife uh, died, uh, I started using the metaphor of a cubism to show the movement of the veil and the veil uh, and the movement behind the veil because in cubism, it's never, it's never set. It's always in motion. And some, so there's another kind of reality that you're dealing with other than our earthly reality. And I was combining the two. Into this process, I found that uh, I had actually done something like that very early in my work when I did a whole series on intrusions in which I was using uh, abstract expressionism as a, as a metaphor. I was with a group of, of, of friends and, and people at, uh, at Princeton, and there were two uh, uh, Russian uh, scholars there, one extremely uh, famous, and they were, they were doing a lecture and so forth. We had lunch with them. And they were turning uh, the, up, um, the whole icon upside down and reevaluating it. And it was supposed to be very, very, very important, some of the work they were doing. What they had done is they had found in the icons, there were buildings that were drawn and people thought that they were uh, just poor drawing. They just didn't know how to do it. They reevaluated and showed it that the buildings were being seen from different points of view at the same time. In other words, it was cubism. And it was only in heavenly buildings that were not meant to be built. In other words, they were using the same metaphor for heavenly places that I was in my work. And I, and I mentioned that, just what I was doing very briefly, and they were ecstatic. And uh, in fact, during the lecture, uh, one scholar dealt with the veil, and he came to me afterwards and said, oh, the veil was for you. The veil was for you. But you see, God had directed me to come to an understanding that was uh, you know, a thousand years old, and I had no idea. But he brought me to that point, uh, and that is exactly what he does. There was another time I was in, a, uh, before the, one of the major uh, pentocrators, in Russia, and I looked at around the fr- feet of Jesus, and there was the voca- artistic vocabulary that I was using in my work. Again, I had no idea what was going on, what I, what the, how the Lord was using what he was doing, and yet there it was, and he had brought me to that place because of his faithfulness. Yeah, t- talking about faithfulness, I was thinking about the 
quote in, in the chapter from Dennis Hack of Ransom Fellowship. He talks about using ordinary things, that, um, how God gave Moses a staff to do extraordinary things, but it, it was just more of the that we are given these opportunities to be faithful, to, to follow God in, in the ordinary. Now, our culture doesn't think that being an artist is ordinary. They think it's a rather extraordinary, unusual thing. But And when you're thinking about art making, how does uh, what you're doing feel like just ordinary work, picking up a stick as Moses did and being faithful in that place? Well, you'd have to learn your lessons. And then you, uh, and therefore, you learn to draw. You learn to uh, to find a vocabulary, and build as many tools to use as you possibly can have. And then, uh, and then it's just making marks. It's just uh, uh, putting some paint down. It is a very ordinary kind of thing, but through that uh, ordinary uh, ordinary work, as Picasso said, I think you is quoted in the book. You know, he uh, Picasso said. Uh, inspiration is possible, but it must find you working. Right. <laughs> and I think that that is so true. And therefore, you work, and through that, God, uh, with his sovereign grace, breaks through, and all of a sudden you find yourself doing things that you did not conceive of doing to begin with. But you have, but you're, but you have the tools that are there, and then then constantly you're in prayer saying, Lord, help me to do this. Help me to see this. Help me to be able to form this. This seems to be necessary for the work, and I don't know if I can get this right, but do, here, help me. And again and again and again, he is there beside you, helping you and making it possible for you to complete the work that he's given you to do. Yeah, well, and I think just the act of being present, uh, showing up, uh, you you talk about God being there, for you know beside you while you're making the work it requires you to actually be in front of the canvas for that to happen you know i think a lot of folks say well you know inspiration isn't isn't hitting me today or something i'm like well you you need to show up first you need to put the time in go go clean your brushes get get some of the uh, day-to-day stuff out of the way and it's hard i mean you sit there and you wonder but my wife uh dear diane she reminded me she says but thinking is part of the process so just because you don't, you're not in, uh, making marks on the canvas doesn't mean that you're not working. I remember that wonderful story of this uh, poet that said he di- divorced his first wife because uh, she could never understand that when he was uh, sitting in his, at his desk with his feet up on, on, a, on the desk, leaning back with his eyes half closed, that he was working. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and we have a whole uh, ch- chapter in a, a podcast earlier about contemplation yeah. and just the crucial part of that in the creative process that, yeah, you, you don't get, it's not billable hours, as I, I like to think. You know, it, it, it's just it, work you have to do and, yes. and uh, yes. get through it. Well, I want to lean in a little more to this idea of unconventional ways of glorifying God through our art. And, you know, I've talked about in this chapter how Isaiah and some of the prophets were called to do some very unusual things. And in in fact, I think it was Isaiah that walked around naked for three years. And I know that going back to my original question with you, I know that painting nudes has been a part of your career as an artist. Um, I'd love to know some of the ups and downs that you've experienced in that journey. 
Because for me, I find that as, as something beautiful. I see the body as something holy. We're looking at God's creation. The, the issue might be with the way we perceive and what's going on on the side of us rather than, than just putting shame or negativity on, on the body as, as a subject of art. But I'd love to know some of your ups and downs in your journey with that, especially because some of our listeners may feel called to difficult paths as well in their own art that's not always easily understood, but they feel that they want to glorify God through the art that they're doing. I really want to encourage them along the way, you know, and, um, and so I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on that. Yeah, I think, Ed, you need to tell at least the story about the guy who took the knife to your your paintings. That's one of my favorites. Well, yes, there there was uh, some uh, paintings torn up. Um, all the things that uh, a lot of the people in the '80s were trying for, as far as rejection, so they could be famous, and you know, and censorship, and all of that. I've been through it all, and it hasn't <laughs> made me more famous. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> but no, you have, uh, yeah, you. Um, the, pre, the reason the nude is, impro- is one of the reasons the nude is a problem in our society is that we never see nudes except in the museum, which most people don't understand and don't, don't, don't know that world, and pornography. They don't understand this is who we are and that there is a, uh, there is a neutral, uh, uh, more of a neutral ground where it is uh, have a n- normal place in, in life that we must come to grips with. And I think that art is one of those places that it can happen. And therefore, when I place an 8 by 12 foot painting of nude figures in front of someone, if they can come in quietly and contemplate that work, perhaps they will know something more about their own physicality in the world in which we've given, we're given. And therefore, know more about what it is to be alive uh, in the world that God has created. I don't see a big division between the, the, between the, as far as any practical purpose, between the, the, uh, the, the body and the soul and the spirit. We don't, uh, it's, I can't, uh, it's all of a piece as far as our life here. Now, I mean, I, there, there are other things that happen with the soul and so forth when our body is as at rest because it will be resurrected. Uh, but it's important because it is going to be resurrected that we deal with it and know something about it. And so hopefully people looking at my paintings might have a chance to understand that more clearly and therefore come closer to a reality that God has created. Um, I uh, as, so I think that's one of the problems is that they don't have a context for it and therefore the only con except for pornography or something like that. Um, I think that one of the tr- troubles in uh, some of the churches, and not I don't want to b- paint a huge, too big a brush here, but I think that a lot of people are, um, they are orthodox in their theology, but they're emotionally Gnostic. And so there's a problem, I think, there that, uh, that they need to, to, in one sense, grow up and realize that this is part of life and this is who we are. Now, what are we going to do with it? And that gives us, uh, how does it allow us to function in the world, in the real world, not some mystical world that we would like, oh yeah, where we can go and, and sit around and sing and, 
and uh, yeah. and do nothing. <laughs> right. And, and call it call it important. No, I think uh, action is is the thing that the Lord has given us in the world, and it's their body. It's the body that makes it action possible. Beautiful. I've lately been thinking so much about how that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that that the word became a human being. And I've thought so often lately as well about the metaphors that are used all throughout scripture. I am the bread of life appeals to taste, you know, here, Oh, Israel is, is the hearing it's the ear. And, you know, he invited Thomas to put his finger to touch him right in the wound. And like on and on, you, you, you find all of these physical metaphors and after his resurrection, he ate fish. Yes. Yes. I mean, uh, so, no, extremely, extremely important. And, uh, and, and I, I've, all, I've said often that, that uh, the Lord tried, uh, God tried to reach us with the prophets and so forth, but we, reject, we rejected the prophets and so forth. And finally, he had to come in the physical presence and therefore the icon uh, he had to come as the icon of God. And, and, of course, Christ came as the Son with all the authority of the Father because he's very God, and, but, very, uh, but very man. But he was also very man at every point. And part of the nudity in my painting is to emphasize the fact that when he came, he came like we are and that he came gender-specific. There's no way. There have been artists that uh, uh, one or two times tried to play around with kind of an, uh, a female-male kind of uh, androgynous kind of strange figure as Christ, that doesn't work. I'm sorry. It just doesn't. It does not carry the, the, his authority that he, need, that he came with. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a lie. It's a lie. He's, he's told us how he came. The scriptures tell us how he came. And there's no question about it. I'm curious for you, Ed, what does it mean to glorify God? This whole chapter is titled Glorification, but ultimately for us as artists, what does that mean? I don't know that everybody listening to this podcast even knows what glorification means, you know? I think it comes in taking what we do and what he's called us to do and placing it at his feet and then ask him for his unction, his increase on what we've done that um, because it, it, we've done it with his help it's not something we've just done by ourselves but we ask his increase that it might glorify him what that type what that glorification is is up to him and it has to be his doing because he knows what is needed for the life of, of the world as for as far as the life of others but I'd also, uh, also caution the fact and say the fact that maybe the what we make, and I don't know how this fits with your book exactly, but what we make may be just for him only. And it might be just for his enjoyment, that he enjoys seeing what his creation, our mind, can come up with. And so it's just for him to sit there and enjoy a, 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 an audience of one. And I think that's plenty. That's plenty. The rest of it has to be what he would want it to be. And, and that's up to him. So how it glorifies him is in his court, not mine. But, but my, in my court I, is the laying down and making it available to him 
as well as making my life available to it. The whole idea of me being a painter and so forth, and therefore I have to paint, is a crock. I do not have to paint, but I do have to be a faithful child of God. And that's, that's the point. Not, uh, not, I am, uh, it is whose I am, not what I do, that is, I, is where I find my identity. And once that is established, then what we do glorifies God. I think that's interesting, tying that into, uh, Stephen, the action chapter when we talk about that God was, was there with Adam waiting to see what he was going to name the animals mm-hmm. and how, uh, and what Ed's saying, that it's, it, it may just be for one person and, that, and that's okay. And I think it's also helpful to have the reminder that God didn't make us to be artists you know, that, that he made us to be his children, and it may be artwork as part of the work that he's given us to do, and it might be other things. And and we need to put those things in the right sequence and order and hierarchy. You're talking about the work, some of the work that we create may be for God's enjoyment only. That leads into the question then, how have spiritual practices such as prayer helped your studio become a sanctuary for you or how have your spiritual practices tied into your art making i have found that the lord is a very present help in the time of trouble he's prom- uh that's a- and i can give you an example that i've used a number of times before i was struggling with a painting one time and i did not know what to do i was very frustrated i think i probably ended up throwing my brushes at the thing and I said, Lord, help me. And immediately, I, needed, I know, knew I needed to go down to the National Gallery and see uh, Poussin's Holy Family of the Steps. It was an instant thing. And I thought, what in the world, Lord, are you telling me? I am an expressionist. I am not a neoclassicist. <laughs> I really almost got angry. I said, what are you doing to me? This is not right. <laughs> this is not right. And uh, the Metro was very close to my uh, studio at the time. And so I knew I needed to go down and see that painting. So I almost literally stomped on the Metro. Okay, I'll go, I'll go. Let me... <laughs> Got to the museum, and then I started wandering around. I knew where the painting was hanging. I knew the work. And I, uh, but I just went on and on and just wore myself out seeing all kinds of other things. The Lord left me alone. Finally, at the end of the day, I said, I know I have to see that painting. And so I went, found it. I looked at it. And in literally almost two seconds, I knew what was wrong with my painting. Mm-hmm. It already told me that's what I needed to see. What it was is that Poussin uh, uh, and that painting uh, used the clouds as a structural element to the work beautifully. I was just using the sky and clouds as kind of a background for something else, and it didn't work. It was just dead. So I knew exactly what I did. But his help is there. It was like It's like sometimes he's standing beside you on tiptoe, hoping you will ask. And then you're up, you've got to be upset because you didn't ask. So I think we have to be constantly in prayer, asking, Lord, now what shall I do? How can I do this? But then do it with, uh, with confidence and, again, your word, courage, to go up there and just start making it and saying, I'm going to do this, I'll do this correction, I'll do this and this and that, uh, constantly moving and being a bold and and artist in in every way that you know how to be 
knowing that he is there and he is answering prayer. Yeah, t- talking about prayer, I was thinking that of uh, we read in Scripture, you know, Paul says that we should be praying without ceasing. And, and most of us wonder, like, what does that look like? And I, I often think, uh, if you're an artist, you know exactly what that looks like. Like there, there is no moment that that prayer is not filling everything that you're doing because we are just so desperate to be the conduit of of God's grace and to you know all, all the inspiration that we are going to have is is going to be you know it's inspiration it's given to us it's not it's not something that we're in control of most of the time. Something that's important that just came to mind. I think it's too easy to try to put on a spiritual mindset or something and make it. I've got to be spiritual now. No, you don't. No, I don't think that that's it. I think we have to be true to the craft and that art by its very nature is spiritual. When I start making uh, 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 a painting, whether it's a realistic painting or an abstract, it's dealing with certain things that I'm trying to bring. The, uh, I'm standing on the edge of the, non, of the nonverbal, fighting to get that nonverbal into something that is visual and is present in front uh, there to be used. And, uh, and therefore, uh, I realize that a lot of times people don't understand what I'm saying because I just assume everybody has, is living in a poetic world which they're trying to do the same thing, but they're not. Right. <laughs> they're just not. So you, but you have to realize that art by its nature is spiritual, and therefore I don't have to put on some kind of a, a special armor or as clothing or whatever in order to make my work. I have to do, use my craft and I have to deal with my craft as an artist would deal with the craft. And, uh, and that may be inventing something new to the craft. It doesn't matter, but I'm trying to deal with that visual world that is uh, trying to bring to speak the nonverbal into our, into the lives of others. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because I think sometimes as followers of Jesus, sometimes we strive to glorify God by putting on this pious expectation that we've put on ourselves by by embodying this religious idea that's not really God's idea to begin with. It's our idea of what we think glorifies God. But right. but you know, what really brings glory to God is when we do have the courage to be who He's created us to be. Because I think that when we can walk in that courage and that freedom of knowing who God has created us to be, it, it glorifies him because we're we're giving honor to the artwork that we are, the, the artwork that he created us to be. One of my favorite quotes is is from Thomas Merton in his book New Seeds of Contemplation. And he says a tree gives glory to God by being a tree. Yes. Because, you know, because in being what God had in mind when he created it, it's assenting to the will of God. It's saying yes to the yes. will of God. It's, And I think that's uh, really hard for us. I don't think a tree has an issue being who God created it to be, but we human beings tend to struggle with that. <laughs> I think so. We have so much trouble just being the human beings and the men and women that God has created us to be. Yes. Well, Ed, thank you so much for joining us today on the Naming the Animals podcast. I've enjoyed hearing your thoughts and getting to know your your creative process a bit. And I look forward to introducing your work uh, to the audience and listeners of this show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure talking with you. And I hope we'll have some good contact later uh, as uh, and with more conversations. Thanks, so, Ed. Thank you so much.
Thank you for listening to Naming the Animals podcast. This episode was produced by Stephen Roach with music provided by Firefighter. If you would like to support the production of this and other art and faith-related podcasts, please consider becoming a monthly patron at patreon.com slash makersandmystics. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at makersandmystics and leave a kind review on iTunes.